this dramatic intro music. I love it. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, you are not alone. Uh, I have met 0.0 new people in the past year, so it is especially good to be with you in worship this morning. Uh, my name is Emily Anderson. I am Pastor Jonathan's wife. Uh, usually on Sunday mornings at this time, I am holding down the fort as the Harvest Point moderator online. Uh, shout out to our Facebook and YouTube communities. I miss interacting with you all this morning. And uh, shout out to Grandma, who is uh, watching our one-year-old as he takes his nap. Hi, Mom. Jonathan and I have led worship together up here a few times before, but as he was starting this bystander series going through the Gospel of John, he came to me and he said, hey, I know you've been, um, you know, doing virtual speaking events with churches. You're so great at it, you know, really gassing me up. Uh, you know, let me know if there's a passage in John that you're like really passionate about that you want to preach on one Sunday. I said, I know you're just trying to get a week off, so I'm going to pass. Thank you. But here I am, because I was reading through the Gospel of John, and I came to this verse that I'm sure I've read a hundred times before, but it struck me in a way it never had before. Does that ever happen to you? And the verse was this, John eleven thirty two. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And because this is my church home, some of you know how this story intersects with my story. When I was 20 years old, I was away at college and I got the worst phone call I've ever gotten. Uh, my brother had been killed by a distracted driver. A 19-year-old girl looked down at her cell phone, crossed the median on the highway, and hit my brother's car head-on while he was on his way to work. I wept. And eventually, my brain formed something like these words to Jesus. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. God, if you're good, God, if you're sovereign, where is the good? Where is the hope? And so this morning, I want to share a story with you about grief and loss and about Jesus and hope. And that story comes to us in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus, but Lazarus actually doesn't have any lines in his own story. Uh, it's all about Jesus' interactions with these other people. Jesus has three different encounters, three different conversations with people who are experiencing grief, fear, and faith. And the story comes to us in John chapter 11 when Jesus is hanging out with the disciples uh, and he gets word from his friends, from these two sisters, Mary and Martha, that their brother Lazarus is very sick. And the first of these conversations Jesus has is with the disciples. The disciples are the guys who have been traveling with Jesus. They've seen everything he's done. They've heard everything he's taught. But they still don't quite understand what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. John 11, verse 7. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, 
Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus, you're killing us. That's like the Emily Anderson translation. You may remember, if you've been reading through the Gospel of John with us, John chapter 10, the disciples certainly remember it, when they were in Judea and the religious leaders there got so threatened by Jesus that they literally were picking up stones to try to kill him, and Jesus escapes across the Jordan River. Or maybe the disciples are remembering a few chapters before that, when Jesus heals the official's son from afar with just a word. Can't you do that again, Jesus? We don't want to go back to Judea. The people there are trying to kill you. And picking up in verse 11, Jesus tells them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. (laughs) That's not necessary, Jesus, the disciples say. If he's been sick and he's sleeping, that's good. You should let him rest. Really, by staying here, you're doing the best thing for him. The disciples are not getting it, so Jesus has to break it down. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Lazarus was probably already dead by the time word reached Jesus. Mary and Martha couldn't pick up a phone. Jesus knows that he's already dead, but he goes back anyway. Just as Jesus, who is fully God, became fully human and entered our world as this helpless baby, Jesus is leaving the safety of his community and going back where people are trying to kill him. Jesus is going to lay down his life. From this conversation with the disciples, we know that Jesus had all the facts, he knew all the risks, and yet he went. He goes back. And when Jesus is outside of the city, he has his second conversation, this conversation with Martha. Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters. Martha, whose theology is right, whose faith in Jesus is clear, who is nevertheless grieving. Verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha here thinks that Jesus is like giving her a little theology lesson. Uh, You know, this is something religious people like to do when people are in grief sometimes. Like point to one, one day far away hope when you're in the middle of grief right now. Oh, you'll see your brother again in glory, Martha. You'll see Lazarus in heaven, Martha. So Martha says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in resurrection on the last day, Jesus. Martha doesn't understand what's about to happen. Jesus is not trying to just put a silver lining around her pain. He's going to do something really different. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Jesus has just told Martha 
that she doesn't have to wait for eternal life to begin in resurrection on the last day. Eternal life starts now. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. People who are Christians who believe in Jesus aren't kept from physical death, but we can enjoy and anticipate eternal life today. God is sovereign over the present and the future. This is good news. So Martha goes back to her sister. She goes back home. Mary, who's been at home, sort of like in our culture, you know, after the funeral, there are folks at the house um, mourning, grieving, and one of the sisters would have stayed behind to sort of play hostess to everyone. So Martha goes back home, sort of tags out her sister and tells her, hey, Jesus wants to talk to you. Then Jesus has that third conversation with Mary, Lazarus's other sister. Mary of Bethany, who had sat at Jesus' feet, listening to him, learning from him. She's a disciple. Mary, who would anoint Jesus with perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. Mary, whom verse 5 tells us Jesus loves. There's nothing wrong with your faith when things don't go your way. Bad things happen to Jesus' best friends all the time. Jesus, I'm sorry, verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. No but, no qualifiers, just hard truth and real grief, open communication. No one in the crowd of mourners that day, including Jesus, would have been offended by Mary's complaint. In fact, complaint and lament were part of the language of faith in the first century. It's only later that we got this dangerous idea that religious people, people of faith, can't hold two truths at the same time. Here we see Mary in faith and in grief, anger and love. She kneels at Jesus' feet as an expression of devotion and worship. She knows that Jesus has the power to heal. She knows that Jesus loved her brother Lazarus dearly. And she expresses that grief to him openly and honestly. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Jesus doesn't rebuke Mary. He weeps. Jesus wept. Now all the good churchy folks in the room might be thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, you had a plan. You told the disciples exactly what you were going to do. You told Martha that you are the resurrection and the life. That's good news. Why are you weeping? But Jesus is showing us here the depth of his love. He's showing us that death is not trivial. It's painful. Jesus didn't come to deliver us from imaginary grief. Grief is real. 
And just because Jesus has power over the grave doesn't make the grave easy. It's hard. Some of you know that intimately. Jesus' tears are a public acknowledgement of the pain that death causes. Jesus' tears are a sign of divine empathy. Not only will Jesus suffer for us in the chapters to come, but Jesus suffers with us. He weeps with those who are weeping. One year ago, this Sunday, was the first Sunday that Harvest Point worshipped exclusively online. Can you believe that? It's been a year. None of us could have predicted what all of this year would hold for us. We didn't know that millions of people across the world, including over half a million people in the U.S. alone, would die from this virus that we had never heard of. That it would force us to isolate ourselves, breeding another epidemic of loneliness and loss of social connections. People have lost jobs. They've lost loved ones. There's been a reckoning of racial injustice in our country. Political upheaval has gripped our government, and that's only like the big cultural challenges. But then there are all the little personal challenges, right? So I wonder for you, what grief are you carrying from the past year? And sometimes we think of grief just as a response to the loss of a loved one, but grief is really our response to any loss in our lives. Maybe you've lost your sense of normalcy or your sense of control. Maybe you've even lost your faith or your view of God. And I know it's, it's hard when there's so much going on to really slow down and ask ourselves what grief we're carrying. I mean, as, as the parent of a very active toddler, you know, my days are usually spent like trying to get him out of the dog bowl, like not really in deep thought about grief. <laughs> But I think it's important to ask ourselves to slow down even now and ask, what grief am I carrying? And as a counselor, I know that to deal with grief in a healthy way, there are a few things we need to do. First, we've got to acknowledge the reality of the situation at hand. Confess it. Write it down in a journal. Tell it to Jesus. I think some people think, if I just pretend nothing is happening, if I just kind of keep my head down and plow through, it'll pass. But the story shows us what I know to be true in my personal life and in my work as a therapist, that we don't get past grief by pretending it doesn't exist. In his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro says this, there is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. In fact, the true spiritual life does not escape from reality, but it's an absolute commitment to it. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happen. Listen to this. If we have the courage to participate fully in the process. It doesn't please God to just ignore reality and slap a smile on our faces. Grief requires us to acknowledge the reality and to acknowledge our feelings. 
Our God is not a God of fake smiles. He's the God who weeps with us. And it's only by acknowledging the reality of what we're going through and by opening up our feelings, acknowledging those before God, that we expose those things to the light of God's love. Pete Scazzaro says, when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. God created us with emotions, and he's big enough to handle them. Now, depending on the religious tradition you grew up in, you might be thinking, I don't want to make a negative confession. I want to, you know, speak positivity over my life. I want to name and claim that. But here's the reality of how God created us. When we are able to label and express those difficult feelings, we're not claiming them. We're actually taming them. Study after study in neuroscience has shown that when we're able to label and express our feelings, the stress response in our brains actually goes down. And the more we practice this, the better we get at talking about feelings, labeling them, expressing them, we become less volatile, less reactive, and we're able to respond to those stressful situations in the moment more clearly, constructively, and creatively. This is the wisdom of the Psalms. David, poor David, a man after God's own heart, expressed like every feeling under the sun. And yet, David says, I trust in God's unfailing love. Grief requires us to acknowledge reality, acknowledge our feelings, and to surrender those things to God. And we find that in this story, when we do, Jesus meets us in that place with his presence and his power. When my brother Brian died, the reality of my loss was like as plain as the nose on my face. I acknowledged that before God. I lifted my feelings up to God. And in that moment, I realized I didn't need answers. I needed his presence. And that's what I got. I got the body of Christ, other Christians in my life, writing beautiful letters and notes of encouragement that I still treasure to this day, people giving hot meals to my family, sometimes no encouraging words at all, just the willingness to sit with me in my grief and the silence. I got a good therapist, and I got like that supernatural sort of comfort like God was binding up my wounds. I got that peace that passes all understanding. Jesus was not only willing to take up my grief, he wanted to bear it. He willingly bore my grief, my shame, my sorrow upon his shoulders. Friends, the good news is that Jesus' tears are not the end of the story. Feelings are real. They should be felt, they should be acknowledged, but they change. Feelings are temporary, they pass. After his encounter with Mary, Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb. He tells the mourners to take away the stone, he prays, and then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
the good news is that in Christ, the worst thing is never the last thing. Amen? By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is pointing us to the resurrection that is to come. You and I have eternal life, not through our own power, but by the one who created life itself. Jesus is the life that conquers death. Jesus does overcome the grave. Death is powerful, but it's not all powerful. See, by, by raising Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders in Jerusalem can no longer ignore the signs. In John's gospel, raising Lazarus from the dead is the sign that changes everything. By raising Lazarus from the dead, by going back to where he's not safe, Jesus is laying down his own life. It's the sign that leads to killing Jesus. Good Friday is coming. But Easter is also coming. This sign, raising Lazarus, is pointing to the resurrection that is to come. It's letting us know that Jesus will conquer death, ultimately. That Jesus took it on so that we can experience abundant life now and we can experience resurrection in the future. We can trust in the promise of Revelation 21 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. Jesus weeps with us, and he will wipe our tears away. So this morning as we close, I want to invite you as you feel comfortable to Place your hands out as, as an open posture toward the Lord and close your eyes as you feel, feel comfortable. I want you to think about the grief that you're carrying. All of those losses over the last year, whether it's your own or you're carrying the grief of a loved one, offer that grief up to the Lord. He wants it. He wants to bear it. He wants to meet you. God, our lives haven't always worked out like we've wanted. There's been pain, difficulty, and loss. And God, we just hold those things before you now. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet us here with your hope and your love? God, we know that you weep with us, and we know that you will wipe our tears away in the future, that you came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your love. Amen.